0: Much like a czar laughing in the face of his former employers, Mourinho is currently giggling in the face of his present employers. And what could we do if not laugh along with both? As always, it's Friday and this is the Anglo-Italian Pod. I'm Tommaso Dami and you can find us on Instagram at Anglo-Italian Pod. And I'm joined by...
1: Rory. And you can join us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod. I remembered it and didn't stumble over it this time. Pat on the back, how are you doing this week, Tommy?
0: I feel like there is a whole lot to talk about. Europa League, Champions League finalists, Neymar dancing a little too much on a pitch, covered in ice at the beginning of May, madness all over the place. Of course, we covered extensively Inter Milan winning the league, but there is much more to talk about. How have you been, Rory?
1: I've been all right. Work is starting to quiet down. It's exam season, baby. It means less lessons. So I'm starting to chill out a little bit and I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm good. Just hoping that Arsenal don't disappoint me too much this evening and that we can face Manchester United or Roma in the final.
0: (laughs) You guys will be laughing by the time you're listening (laughs) to this. But yeah, Rory, sorry. To any teachers listening, how beautiful is it? to go to your online classroom and be like today it's exam day you just turn (laughs) off your camera and you're paid for one hour of doing research for the Anglo-Italian pod
1: so I really hope my past employers aren't listening at the moment but the other day during the exams I just sat and played two hours of football manager they were wondering what I was doing I was winning the league with Newcastle that's what I was doing and it does feel fantastic but also at the same time you're like Man, I'm as much of a child as these kids that are doing the
0: exams who's sat playing computer so, games. So, sorry, you were not, you're were not—you not teaching online classes, so this was a lie. No, alive. I'm in school. <laughs> so you had your computer in front of you. That classical yeah. thought that goes through the student's mind, what the fuck is the teacher doing? Is he, yeah. What is he doing? Is he actually working? <laughs> no, he's playing special manager.
1: Especially with football manager, there's no typing, so I'm just looking at the screen. <laughs> I'm just sat there like... Watching the screen and then trying not to fist pump when a goal goes in. <laughs> like.
0: Absolutely awesome. As we said, we've got a whole lot to talk about. Without further ado, let's jump into the Anglo Italian pod blimp. And welcome, listeners, to our customary blimp ride, our Anglo-Italian pod blimp ride. We're going to take you across Europe, talking about Europa League, Champions League finalists. We're already at that point of the season. And then everything you need to know in Serie A, Premier League, La Liga, Ligue 1 and Bundesliga. Rory, how are you feeling going into tonight's game? We are recording, is always, on a Thursday. The listeners will be aware of the Arsenal result, but I, I want to know, Rory, how are you feeling?
1: Honestly, I'm torn between quiet confidence and absolute fear.
0: Now, I've, I've said
1: before that I would rather lose to Villarreal in the final than lose to United in the final, right? I'd rather lose to Villarreal in the semi-final than lose to United in the final, but... I would like to get to the final for the chance to win it, right? But I'm just lose
0: it a second time in a row. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: (laughs) if any team can do it, if any team can do it, it would be us. Um, I'm quietly confident about being at home against Villarreal. I think um, a lot has come out this week about Aubameyang, about the fact you know he had malaria. He's gone through a lot of personal issues this year. He started to look back on form against Newcastle. He was played up front. like as the main striker, that's definitely what suits him. And I think if Arteta can do that again this evening, I would fancy our chances. Aubameyang does usually step up on the big stage. It's just about whether we can keep a clean sheet. It's so important for us to keep a clean sheet in this game. If Real get one goal, then we have an uphill battle.
0: What did you? What went wrong in the first leg? In your opinion?
1: Arteta. I think the whole loss is on him. Um, he played a strikerless system for the first time ever. I think if there's one thing I don't want him to pick up from Pep, it's overthinking semifinals. Um, and he massively did it. He played this system that we'd never played before. Played Smithrow as a false nine. Now, I like Smithrow, but that's a lot of pressure on a 19, 20-year-old kid's shoulders. And it just didn't work. The midfield was just Open And Villarreal, especially with Xhaka at left back, they just targeted that, our oh, left wing, their right wing, just targeted it, targeted it, and they were running through us at will. Um, so they were 2-0 up within half an hour, I think. And it's only really them having Emery as a manager that means that they weren't further up. Because Emery did the classic Emery thing of at half-time being 2 nil up, made a defensive substitution rather than going for the kill, and then we managed to get a goal back, right? So it was... It was what I hated about Emery. I love to see it on another team. But um I think Arteta just got it completely wrong. There's very few very few things that I will blame Arteta for this season. I think a lot of it has been the players. That semi-final was on him. And I think after the game he came out and said, I just got it
0: wrong. Right. Fair, fair. Which but is
1: I- well, you have to as well. You can't just like he's thrown his players under the bus a few times. You can't then do it when you've experimented. If you know, <laughs> it's just not. It's massively not worked. Even the goal we got was a dive, like Saka. I love you, but that was a dive. Um, so we couldn't even score an honest goal. The only goal we got was through cheating. So that kind of sums up the performance. But I'll take it. I think I said before the game on last week's pod, I said I'd take a draw. I'd like bite your hand off for a draw in Villarreal. Two-one loss isn't horrific it could have been a lot worse so yeah i think we can do it at home though i think we can do it at home
0: the following recording was sent by rory last night after the arsenal game
1: Man, I swear to God, fuck every single last one of them that are involved in that. Whether it's Arteta coming out of his shite excuses, any Insta post that's going to be, sorry, you deserve better. I know we fucking deserve better. We've heard it all season. You've been saying it all season, and you've not given us any fucking better. That whole performance was dog shit. We barely pushed him. We cannot even score at home to a... Emery side, an Emery side, where, when he was our manager, we were conceding 32 shots to fucking Watford, and we cannot even score against him, it's shocking, I'm, mate, I'm so fucking angry, and Arteta can get to fuck, he has just given us the worst season we've had, for the first time in 25 years we're not playing European football, fuck that guy,
0: But are we sure that on the other side of the bracket, the finalist is going to be Manchester United? Can you see another Roman miracle (laughs) as I'm choking myself? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Are we sure that there is not going to be another Roman miracle like the one that we saw against Barcelona in 2018?
1: Well, will the news this week have helped, Tommy? What do you think? Mourinho being announced, is this going to help Fonseca help the squad, or is it just going to unsettle it massively?
0: Well, I think that going into this game, I'm not a football manager, but what I would really leverage on would be pride. Like, Mm -hmm. guys, you've embarrassed. We've all embarrassed ourselves on first leg. Tonight, let's go out there, try to make a statement. We're going to play at home. Um... The, I mean, the mistakes are pretty easy to be analyzed. Roma's defense did not play the game last week. I think, I think it's going to be a way tighter result, and I'm ready to make a fool of myself. I think it's going to be a way tighter result. Roma might even snatch a tie, a draw, or a very tight win. But uh, at the same time, knowing Roma, I can see another floodgates being opened type of situation. What do you expect, Rory?
1: Yeah, I think United are going to cruise through, really. They don't really need to go for it. They can almost play a second-string side at this point. If you know what I mean, they can rest a few players if they need to. I know their focus is only on the Europa League now, really, as second place is basically tied up in the Premier League. But I don't think they, they can play without any pressure. I would be surprised if Roma... Well, I'd be incredibly surprised if they went through. But I could see Roma winning on the night, but just not being enough. I think that would be very Roma, to win 2-1, but then still go out.
0: And we decided to have this little section just for you listeners, so you can laugh at all the wrong predictions that we've made in this first When now Arsenal have gone
1: out and Roma have gone through. Exactly. (laughs) exactly.
0: (laughs) And and the final is Villarreal-Roma. Wow. So, Rory, talking about the bigger boys' competition, which one was your favorite game man city psg with a frozen pitch in may and kids once again that's why people move out of that country and uh, or chelsea real madrid what was your favorite
1: i think my favorite was manchester city versus psg i was a bit underwhelmed by the spectacle of chelsea real we'll get onto it but i don't think it was as good a game i feel like City PSG had more to talk about, let's say, a bit more on offer. Um, yeah, the first thing, when the pitch came up, when the pitch for the pitch came up, I just straight away on WhatsApp to my mates at home, like, is it fucking snowing in Manchester in May? And my mate was like, yes, we've had rain, snow and hail. I cannot be asked
0: Like, it is... How- I know, Rory, it's been difficult to two years. You haven't been home in a long time. But I'm sure when you look out the window, you're like, eh, it's not that bad after all, right? <laughs>
1: I honestly, I had a moment the other day where I was often, I'm walking down the street and I'm like, why do I live abroad? Why aren't I in the UK? And I was like, oh, I can feel the sun on my skin. I've got my sleeves rolled up. I'm like, I was like, this makes such a big difference in my life. Just the weather makes such a big difference. I don't know. I love Manchester. I love England. I love the UK. But that amount of rain, just, it's not good for anyone.
0: And it's not fun. And as our friend Max said on our infamous Transpond Football Chat WhatsApp group, he did say this ice sheet is making it difficult for Neymar to dance all around the pitch. And in fact, he definitely wasn't the effective ballerina that we've seen over the other games in the Champions League. What did you make of Neymar's performance?
1: I think he. there was a great great video I saw on Twitter that was like, this was the moment that Neymar regretted leaving Barcelona and he was just stood still on the ball for like 30 seconds with no one moving around him. And he's just looking around and he just passes backwards. And I think it just summed up his performance. He was trying to do everything on his own when no other players turned up. Icardi was absolutely horrific in the first half, barely touched the ball. There was zero presence up front. And Neymar was trying to do it all on his own. Yeah, I think the snow made, like, threw in a variable that nobody really wanted. But I think PSG just massively didn't show up. They started the game quite well, but they faded so quickly. I think the only players that came out with any credit were Verratti, as Man. always. Verratti. Um, wow. Some of his like turns on the ball and his little like slips through past um, Fernandinho or De Bruyne. He had some beautiful touches, some beautiful plays. I think him
0: and. There was a. There was a. I think field. who else
1: came out? But. There
0: was a um, PSG. The, the, I think there was a shot on target by City. Nava saves, but the entire City team is mm-hmm. pretty much sieging the PSG box. They pass the ball to Verratti and the guy spins. Back heel touch to the central defender who then distributes the ball to the left wing. Like the amount of confidence that you need to have to do that type of play, you just need to be sure that it's going to play and it's going to work out. And Verratti, we've covered it a few episodes ago. Incredible player, very underrated in my opinion. We hear Mm -hmm. too little of him. And also very unlucky that PSG couldn't count on good old Killian. He was out injured. How big of a difference did that make, in your opinion?
1: Well, it made it made a huge difference. It made a huge difference. And I, it was weird that they even put him on the bench, considering that if he's injured, just leave him out of the squad and give the slot to someone else you can use. Or if he isn't injured, give him a go when the game's getting away from you. I don't know. It was a weird decision to put him on the bench. Now, I think the Neymar Mbappe versus City thing really throws up an interesting point. Now, everyone said how this semi-final was between two very similar teams, right? Both state owned, both quite morally bankrupt whilst incredibly wealthy, but it's their approaches, right? So Man City have obviously spent a lot of money. I think I saw Guardiola signed 111 players for like a billion pounds at this point in his reign. Um, and PSG spending isn't far behind it, but PSG have gone out and spent 200 million on two players, right? Whereas for City, that 200 million would be around four or five players, maybe, right? Three players. That again, previously in other podcasts, I have said that this PSG team seemed a bit more balanced. And I think it did seem more balanced, but compared to a properly balanced team, it looks really un- imbalanced. And I think it shows the two different um, approaches, whereas Man City are fitting their system around the manager. PSG are just trying to buy the best players. That's all they're trying to do. And then you suddenly end up with a player like, I don't know, the one who sticks out to me is Florenzi. I thought he was a reject at Roma. Why is he at PSG?
0: I mean, at Roma there were. I never really got into the whole Florenzi feud, but at Roma there were other issues other than his uh, footballing okay, abilities. Right. And I, I think Florenzi, Florenzi is going to be called up for the Italy squad this summer. I think he's a very decent player, uh, but definitely Are
1: he, a, a Champions League semi final fullback.
0: No, yeah, I mean, especially. And if- this
1: isn't to pick on him. It's just his. His is the name that came to my mind. I just mean there was a few positions where I'm like. Uh you could do like just invest yeah. a bit no, no, more no. in the other positions if you know what I mean don't put all your money on one player <laughs> I agree Try with and you 100 like, I yeah. agree
0: with you 100% and we're going to get to it but Manchester City besides signing star players uh, they also signed the Riyad Mahrez at the right time with the right money without spending a fortune on him and that's farsightedness. At the time, when they signed the Maretz, I remember saying, talking to a friend and saying, what a shame, he's never going to get playing time at City because yeah. there are too many players. But once again, this is a praise, a praise to Guardiola, who was able with players like Foden, like Maretz, to make them wait, put them in the crucial games get them playing time. And then Maretz has become the player that he is today. Um, I feel like this is is... why
1: I held off on holding on expressing an opinion on Nathan Ake as well. Cause I think he's doing exactly the same thing with Nathan Ake. He's just waiting. And then in five years we'll go, Oh my God, they bought him. That was incredibly genius. Like, you know I mean? I think it's just going to be the same thing.
0: Yeah. And uh, Man city also have the credit of having really pinpointed one of the best center backs in the game at the moment uh this is for max who said because okay we're gonna get to it but rory and i have slightly different opinions about how this game went uh when we say that ederson barely had to touch the ball it's because in two occasions there was ruben diaz playing like an additional goalkeeper and he really reminded me of samuel and lucio when we played when inter milan played the chelsea at stanford bridge like he, I think Julius Caesar had one or two saves, but then there were a few shots where Lucio and Samuel went with their entire body. So that is one of the reasons why Ederson that didn't get his gloves dirty. But then there was also a crossbar from PSG. I don't think that PSG looked that out of the tie until that Di Maria red card. Despite the fact that they weren't playing very convincing football, I didn't think that Man City's football was overwhelming. Like they were clearly the much better side in the game. Very controversial take.
1: I think City I think PSG started really well, and then P- Man and then Man City just took over. And I think the second Man City got their first goal, and this is something I hate about PSG: the players' heads just went. The second they conceded that goal, they were never in the tie because they didn't want to be in the tie. They spent more time kicking players. Di Maria with a stupid stamp and a push. All of a sudden, it was about, let's not try and get a goal. Let's just try and break these guys' legs. And this is what I've seen from PSG quite a few times. The petulance is just horrific. And it meant that even if they are good enough to get back into the tie, at that point, they're never going to. And like you could see... Verratti was desperately trying to kind of keep them all together and kind of hold it together. But then even he he had a, he had got booked for a stupid foul. Then 20 seconds later, went flying through someone else. Like, Man, you've just been booked. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just a bit of composure, a bit of like, okay, boys, right, take two seconds, deep breath, let's go again. Mm-hmm. And that's what City did against Dortmund. And that's what City did when PSG scored the first goal. They went, right, let's not panic. Let's get back into the game. But PSG are just incapable of doing that. And I think when you've got a player like Neymar as your spearhead, you know that I'm not a fan of him as a personality. He's going to start asking for bookings, like snide little elbows. When you've got that, that person is your role model in the team. And of course your heads are going to go. And I think City just absolutely walked it in the end. And I, I think they couldn't believe how easy it was by the end of the game. Like, you're right about the defenders though. They they saved Edison a lot. And like, even Zinchenko had some like key... Key blocks, a lot of love for Zinchenko. This guy, I'm falling in love with him. But no,
0: man, yeah, Zinchenko is another. And I forgot to put it down in my notes. Zinchenko had an incredible, incredible yeah. game. I guess that the the I we will analyze it. I will I will express my opinion fully of Man City when mm-hmm. we will analyze the other semifinal and the final that is lining up. Because I don't think, unlike many other people, that Manchester City are just going to walk it. I don't think it's going to be that easy of a win. We had uh, a poll in our Instagram account, are Man City going to win it regardless of their opponent before the Chelsea-Real Madrid game was being played? And I believe 90% of our followers said, yes, they're just going to walk it. I don't think they will. because, And one of the reasons is because this game, their opponent was exactly the guys that you described people who have thrown a shit ton of money into certain players, but there are a lot of players missing in the pitch. They lose control of the game after a, a bit. They're not poised. Guess who's been looking very poised all through this two-shell reign? Chelsea. So I think that it's going to be a very, very interesting final. Who was your man of the match in the PSG Man City game?
1: It has to be Mares, right? It has to be Marez. I think his season this year has been... Unbelievable! So a few statistics about him: he is the first Algerian player to score ten um, Champions League goals, and he's the first Man City player to score in three consecutive Champions League knockout games. So he has been key across the quarterfinals and semi-finals. But I think just his his clinicalness in front of goal may, made him stand out.
0: And in 2010, Riyad Mahrez refused the PSG offer and joined Le Havre because there, there he would have more playing time. And 11 years later, he has scored three goals in the two Champions League semi-final games, eliminating PSG and leading City to the final. Thank you at Football Factly for the stat.
1: But I'm also going to throw... Ruben Diaz's, Ruben Diaz's hat into the ring as he had 100% of his tackles won, 90% pass accuracy, three kit, three clearances, and three blocks. He was, as you said, an absolute wall in front of the goal. Him and Stones together have just been incredible. I'm going to go through their games that they've played together. Right? Are you ready for this? Go the for games it. The games they've played together. So it is win-win-draw, 12 wins, a loss, 4 wins. 13 clean sheets and only conceded eight goals. So that is 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. In 20 games, they've kept 13 clean sheets and conceded eight. It is insane. Losing one game. Like that partnership is incredible. But Diaz definitely. The funny thing is, PSG could have signed Diaz as well, but they didn't want to sign him, right? And it's. These kind of sliding door moments, right? But the, the the way that City can just go out and handpick these best players definitely helps. But also one more thing I want to say about this game before we move on. In On BT Sport afterwards and in the British media, it was kind of painted as this. 25 years ago, Manchester City were being relegated into the third division and now they're in the Champions League final. Yes, that's true. But let's not make it sound like a fairy tale. It no. is a cl- it's a club that's been bought by a state that, as I've said, are morally bankrupt, that have financially doped their way to the top of the league and financially doped their way to a final. It doesn't take away from anything Pep has done, anything the players have done. doesn't take away from any of that. Let's just not put it through too much of a lens, right? If it was little old, I don't know, like Gillingham, who have worked their way up and got to the Champions League final, then fair play, but not if you've just spaffed a billion pounds on players it takes a bit of the shine off i think
0: yeah but as you said we'd rather see um, a stellar team play good Mm. football like man city than a stellar team kind of put together randomly Play or ride football. So I think this final is absolutely deserved by Man City. And another thing about Riyad Mahrez, we often talk about how a player can perform in a smaller club, but then it's a it's a whole different story when you move to to to, to a club like Man City. Mm-hmm. Well, the the stats by Mahrez at Leicester and Man City are pretty much the same. So at Leicester, one hundred and seventy nine games, forty eight goals, thirty eight assists. At Man City, he's got 139 games, so 40 less than City. He's already on 39 goals, so he needs eight in 40 games to equal his Leicester tally. And he needs three assists in 40 games to equal that tally. So this is incredible. It's beautiful to see that a player that we saw come through the ranks in that Leicester club is now in the final. Look at what a beautiful leeway, just like his buddy, N'Golo Kante, the man who is absolutely everywhere. These two guys, four years ago, they were celebrating a champ, uh, a Premier League win with Leicester City, and now they will find themselves in the Champions League final as opponents. I think that that's the the cutest headline about this final. What do you think?
1: And it's even deeper than that. They were both playing amateur football at 21. They were both in League 2 at 23. And now they're both in the Champions League final. It is insane. Their career paths have been like kind of linked. And just quickly, the legacy of that Leicester team, I think is going to be huge. I think we're going to look back and be like, oh, the players that came from that team, wow, they really went on and did like, I think it's easy for people to look at that season ago. It was a complete freak. And it was a freak, but then you look and go, well, actually, it was also a very good team. It was also a very, very good team. So, yeah, obviously, Marez and Kante have been the main ones who've gone on and kind of done more elsewhere, but even players like Vardy, etc., cetera, Schmeichel, you know, they, all these players will have a great legacy, but Conte and Marez will be the two standout players. I think Marez has gone under the radar of, like, He could be considered the best African player at the moment. He won the AFCON with Algeria last time, uh, scoring the winner in the final as well, I believe. So he's definitely, definitely gone under the radar until this season. But now I'll let you complete the segue and we can go to N'Golo Kante as Chelsea took on Real Madrid. What did you think, Tommy?
0: Well, I was very impressed, as I said earlier, about the poise of this team Mm -hmm. that at the beginning we've said it. Over and over again, how this team has changed ever since Tuchel has taken over. He was recently celebrating his 100 days as a Chelsea manager, and he's the first ever manager to feature in two consecutive Champions League finals with two different teams. A great and very far sighted appointment by the Blues in this occasion. He's, he's t- taken them to the UCL final, to the FA Cup final, and also from ninth to fourth. In the Premier League, his, uh, um, his Premier League records is nine wins, five draws and one loss, scoring 20 and conceding eight. And in the Champions League, four wins, one draw and one loss, scoring eight and conceding two. In total, in 24 games, they have managed to keep 18 clean sheets under Tuchel. Um, I think that Chelsea are going into this final as the favorites. I'm going to say it. Um, I think that the if we analyze the teams that they have beat on their way to the final, um, it's kind of a, a... It's pretty balanced. But I think that the Atletico win uh, by Chelsea, this Real Madrid win, conceding only one goal in two games... They've really shown up. They've shown composure. They've shown determination. And they think that they're going into this final as favorites also because they have less pressure on their shoulders. Mm. So this is their third Champions League final. This is Man City's first Champions League final. This is f- Guardiola's first final in 10 years, in 10 exact years.
1: That's insanity. Yeah. His, his
0: first Champions League final in 10 years. We all know, we've said it over and over again, Guardiola kind of needs another Champions League title with another Mm -hmm. team other than Barcelona. I think that Chelsea are just going to go into this final very relaxed, but uh, it's going to be interesting. I think that it's going to be a very even game, especially in the first half. Well, we will see by the time it comes. Uh, May 28th, I believe, is the final. But Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be very interesting. The third ever... uh, Champions League final featuring two English teams, I believe.
1: Yeah, there was United, Chelsea. United
0: Chelsea. Then, I oh know, no, no, no. no. The oh, and Liverpool, one. Tottenham. Liverpool, Tottenham, and here, Which was here we go again. Awful
1: final. awful final. Me and again, the boys at home were talking about this. Finals between two teams from the same country tend to not be that great the real atletico final was pretty awful that awful ac milan juve won at old trafford which was horrific um i think there tends to be a bit more on the line but anyway that was a digression from tuchel it has been absolute genius appointment from chelsea to they could see that despite the emotional attachment to lampard it was time for him to go and they've picked possibly the best manager at the best time. The speed at which he has got those players to learn the system and the, like, I don't know if he just drills them positionally, but there was a moment when Rudiger just took the ball and just ran right up the pitch and he was marauding for an attack, right? He loses the ball and you can see him sprinting back, but there's no need for him to sprint back because every player has just dropped into position. So there's cover in defense. Like, they seemed so well drilled. They know the system straight away. And he's starting to get the best out of the players that we were starting to maybe dare to call flops. Now, Werner, there's a whole psychological thing going on there. He did score. Even he couldn't miss that one. But Havertz, he's really... See it?
0: Did you see Tiago Silva's wife recording that uh, that <laughs> she, Instagram video? <laughs> it's so funny.
1: She That's reminds me of Wanda a little bit. She used to be a little bit quieter. I've heard her, like, slagging off some of the players and stuff, where you're like, oh, God, that would be so <laughs> awkward.
0: But- but I love the Portuguese accent. That's how you score a goal, Timo Werner. That's how you score it. That's how you do it. Let's go to the final. It was so funny <laughs> with the kid dying to say something in the back, <laughs> but not being allowed it.
1: But even for that move, Havertz was really unlucky. It was some beautiful play, flicked it over the keeper, onto the crossbar, and then Werner, like like I said, even he couldn't miss it. But Tuchel, so far, he has now beaten, right? This is incredible. Since he's been in charge of Chelsea, he's now beaten Zidane, Guardiola, Klopp, Simeone twice, Mourinho, and Ancelotti, without conceding a single goal in any of those games, which, to me, is just absolutely mental but what does make me think that maybe city could have the kind of upper hand is that in the um pep versus tuchel face-off uh tuchel's only ever beaten them once which was the one nil win in the fa cup semi-final recently um the other games i think it was six losses and a draw it does need to be said that two of those games were when tuchel was at Mainz and guardiola was at bayern munich so maybe it wasn't quite level right yeah (laughs) um but even the first Der Classica in I think it was 1617 or 1718, um, they lost five one to Bayern. Um, so I think he Pep has had the upper hand recently. But I think now the teams are maybe on a bit more of a level pegging. It will be quite interesting to see how it goes. But Tuchel has just been what. An appointment. What an appointment. And there's a part of me that, like, Arteta, I've still got a bit of love for you. A bit. But there's a part of me that really wishes Arsenal pulled the trigger and just gone, fuck it, we need an experienced manager. Because he has just turned that club around. And honestly, if they go on to win the Champions League, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, there was one also one last thing I saw on Twitter, which was apparently after the game, Tuchel just walked out onto the pitch on his own and just let out a massive roar of like, Yes! and then just walked back into the into the changing room which i absolutely love it's mental and also like you can see how much it fucking means to him
0: absolutely um let's not forget that the last time that chelsea were in the champions league final well we said i mean the majority of people were saying well it's not really going to be that hard fought of a final i mean bayern munich are going to play at home in a final they're the much better team Then they did the score at the 88th then Drogba it was a crazy game so mm-hmm. i'm ex- and and they do believe very hot take that Chelsea kind of deserved the win against Man U in that Moscow final you don't think so oh
1: i have to think back to that i was working during that final i was actually funny i was working in the hotel a load of United fans had booked. It was a really fancy hotel. They'd booked this private room with like fine dining and I was one of the waiters. So they had the big TV and we had to like bring them in the dinner while they were watching the football. So, Obviously, we were taking ages bringing the food in so we could like watch the TV. <laughs> um, but even for United fans, it was quite fun to be there when they won on penalties because it was just a room of like fifty United fans going mad in this like really really posh hotel. It was great. So I don't really remember the game. I just remember laughing that John Terry missed.
0: Yeah, I my mean, main, yeah, it, it was a game that was ultimately decided by a very understandable slip on a super wet pitch. <laughs> but then the other thing about this final. Let's not forget where it's going to be played. Istanbul. <laughs> We've already seen a final in Istanbul. And yes, it was that final. With the man city of the situation, steamrolling 3-0 the first half. Mm. And uh, yeah, and the Chelsea of the situation coming back 3-3 and ending up winning the final. So I, I'm i very excited for this final. I'm <laughs> I'm more excited than if Real had gone through, I think.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. Should we talk about Real? I think we need to talk about Real. Real were
0: very underwhelming, but they were playing the majority of their starters and uh, another praise to Chelsea and Tuchel. Their midfield seemed non existent They absolutely uh, put it to sleep. There was Mm -hmm. an incredible... I think he didn't get enough credit. An incredible Mandy save on Benzema. Now, you know that I have a soft spot for goalkeepers. That is a world-class save. Until the last second, you don't even know if it's either Kroos or Benzema who's going to shoot the ball. He was covered by a defender to manage to pull his strong left hand at the bottom, saved an incredible shot, and then there was another great save on a Benzema header who was left all alone in the middle of the box. Real Madrid did never... I mean, never looked really threatening, in my opinion. And uh, it looked, it looked for the first time in years, it looked like a game where Real Madrid didn't put up much of a fight. What was your takeaway, Rory?
1: Yeah, I was really underwhelmed by them, really underwhelmed by them. I think this is also a team that's kind of coming to the end of its cycle. So you look at that midfield three, you've got Toni Kroos, who's 31, Casemiro, who's 29, and Modric, who's 35. Compare that to, like, Chelsea's midfield of Kante, who's, I'm just checking now, is, okay, he's 30, to be fair. But then you've got Jorginho, who is, is he going to be old as well? 29? Okay. But I feel like this Real Madrid side are coming to a bit of, like, they've had their success, right, with the four Champions Leagues in five years or whatever it was, but players like Ramos, um cross casemiro modric benzema i know benzema's having a great season but i think the team is coming to an end of its cycle and i wonder whether zidane is currently able to get the best out of these young players that he has like rodrigo valverde these players that are meant to be the future of the team they don't really seem to be getting the chances something else that really frustrated me was we need to talk about how bad eden eden hazard was as a signing but also he was so anonymous where he ended up forcing Vinicius Jr. out on the right just so that he could accommodate Hazard on the left. And Vinicius Jr. is most effective on the left. On the right, he was completely wasted. He ended up getting dragged after a after an hour, right? And I feel like Just maybe can't get these new players in and the old team that he had, he's kind of relying on a little bit. I was so underwhelmed. Again, I think the only players who turned up for Real Madrid were Benzema and Courtois. Courtois kept them in that game. It was insane.
0: And now there is a 100% probability that, ah, Mendy will lift the Champions League trophy.
1: (laughs) Beautiful. I feel like you get these, we might have talked about this before, but cycles of like common names. So for a while, there was a lot of Diarras. For a while, there's a lot of Sissokos, a lot of Dembele's, and now there's a lot of Mendy's, right?
0: Look, I've thought about this and I think that in Africa in general and again this is just like based on history. I don't think that there are that many different last names. I mean Europe is a continent that has a very long history of like different jobs and different yeah. I don't know yeah, yeah. trades and whatever and many times last names start from that. Think about the amounts of Dembele men that have been in, the, in I don't know the I'd have to look into or- that.
1: I'd have to look into it. I don't know. I feel like they must Dimbele, have. As, as, I feel like we're getting into like anthropology where we definitely don't know what we're but, talking but man,
0: about. Mendy, Dembele, Diarra, as you said, there was another very common one where it, like Ducure, there was a moment I mean, where right, there yeah, were yeah, a bunch of Ducures and you're just like, wait, they didn't play for Leon. No, that's the other one. Ah, wait, there are five at the, time, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, very happy for the Mindy. Broader family, you guys are going to be crowned European champions. Um, I'm very excited for this final once again. I'm very happy also for Jorginho, a player that has been getting a lot of stick throughout his career. Mm. He's gotten a lot of stick even when he was at Napoli and he was undoubtedly one of their best players. He's gotten some stick at Chelsea too. I still shit my pants thinking of him taking a penalty for Italy at the European Championship. I do not like the little extra, like, what do you call it? Like, the the jump before you take the penalty? Yeah, a little skip. The little skip that he does really, really scares me. I don't want to see that with the Azzurri shirt. But, Jorginho, congratulations to you. I'm very happy. Um, And, yeah, I think that these are the two teams. uh, I don't think that any of these two teams, neither Man City nor Chelsea, have robbed their way through. No, the final. No, no, no. Absolutely just a, deserved.
1: Just a final, final note. Chelsea are the first ever team where their men's and women's team have both reached the Champions League final in the same year. Chelsea's women knocked out Bayern 5-3 in the semis and will face Barca in the final in Gothenburg on May the 16th. So quite a nice little stat there, I think.
0: And the last thing that I want to say about this cute little all-English final that we've got lined up is that Yes, Man City were the better team against PSG, but I don't think that they were any better than Chelsea against Real Madrid. I think that this game is going to be extremely tactical, especially on Tuchel's part, because Tuchel knows that his side is not quite as an established side as Guardiola's, and Man City fans have to cross their fingers that Guardiola does not overthink this game. If they play the way they have been playing throughout the season, well, the second part of the season, this Champions League campaign, I think they should win it. But it's going to be interesting. I'm back in Chelsea, by the way. Rory, who you got?
1: I'm going to go City. I'm going to go, I think, yeah, I just think there'll be too much. I think it will be, I think there's only going to be one goal in it. I don't think it's going to be a goal fest. Um, But I think City City should edge it,
0: yeah. And the reason why I say Chelsea is also because they've got Ngolo Kanté, and at that point he can retire. He will have won the Premier League oh. twice with Leicester and Chelsea, the World Cup with France, the Champions League with with Chelsea. At that point, you can just go on a beach and enjoy your retirement. I think.
1: And he won the Euro. He won the Euros of France, right? No,
0: not yet. No, no, not yet. Portugal not yet. won the Euros. Portugal, Portugal won it. I
1: keep forgetting. Right? Not and yet. He'll league- win it this summer.
0: Yeah, no, Italy are going to win it this summer. But we're going to talk about that in the weekly topic. Rory, where should we go? Uh, England or Italy first?
1: Let's go Serie A first. Let's go Serie A first.
0: Rory, the Super League scare is behind us, but what do you think of this new Coppa Italia format where only Serie A and Serie B teams are allowed to play?
1: So needlessly aggressive towards the lower leagues why what is the idea behind this what is the idea behind the, this?
0: the reasoning is to make the games more uh appealing to the audience but i think that a lot of the i mean do you remember we mentioned it at the beginning of the year there was a, a coppa italia game being played at 2 p.m yeah okay. and we had no idea that it was happening i think that if People just sat down and organized a better calendar. You could still allow the other sides to be in it and make it interesting and appealing to the people. I don't think that the solution is only Serie A and Serie B teams. It's killing that fairy tale aspect mm-hmm. of the game that we've mentioned, uh, so much. And it's kind of funny to see that nobody, nobody, including the Zerbi, Sassuolo's coach, who said, so many dreams of kids are being harmed right now they will not be able to play the Champions League why aren't you talking about the Serie C players that are not going to be able to play the Coppa Italia so once again a lot of hypocrisy to start with but I think
1: it's not hard to do this like people always talk about like the FA Cup has lost a bit of its romance right but you just have to change the lens it's looked through. That's all you need to do. In England, the thing we love about the FA Cup is that you get Tottenham playing against Marine, who are like 12th tier, and you've got people in their back garden watching Gareth Bale and stuff like This is what we love about the FA Cup. When it gets to semi-final final, most of the fans, because they're all out of it, generally don't care. I think where you get the most interest in cup competitions is when most of the teams are in it, right? So if you when you if you just kind of showed it as this David versus Goliath, this is a chance for these amateur players. This is their day in the sun. And yeah, it's about prioritizing kickoffs. Do it at a weekend, right? Have the 3 p.m. kickoff, have the evening kickoff free to view on Rayuno or whatever, like make it a like easy to watch and people will get into it. I think especially in a league where until this season it's been dominated by one team, Right. I would have thought the cup competition counted even more because it's the only thing you're going to win. But it seems like no one gives a shit about it. No one cares about it. And I think it just needs better marketing. The last thing you need to do is just cut the bottom out of it and go, right, it's only for Serie A and Serie B teams. I think it's terrible.
0: I absolutely agree that this has been already signed, however, and this is how the Coppa Italia is going to work, starting from 2021-2022. Second huge talking point. At in Serie A Mourinho to Roma. Now <laughs> but when I saw that I was just like, what? I didn't I didn't see that coming. In Serie A, I could have seen maybe Mourinho at Napoli. We talked about it in the pod, maybe. Mm-hmm. But Roma kind of came out of nowhere. They were in talks with Sarri, and then they were just like, Mourinho, all in. What oh, did you make you of should've,
1: it? You should have gone for Sari. You should have gone for Sari. They have the
0: players to play Sarri ball as I well. I feel like
1: another team is going to get Sari now, and they're going to embarrass Roma in Serie A next year. And all the Roma fans are just be like, for God's sake, we should have... it's I understand why teams want to take a risk on Mourinho, especially in Serie A because he did the, the the treble with Inter, right? I can see why Serie A teams would be keen to get him back. But I think, if anything, we've seen about Mourinho now is that I think it, it's hard to deny that he's on a decline now. I think that's pretty much fact, right? And I think that Roma... It just seems like such a marriage made in hell. (laughs) Like, this team never win anything, and they're getting a manager that has stopped winning things, and they've got a squad that needs a lot of investment. They're going to have to put a lot of money behind him, and I imagine they've agreed to give him a lot of money because otherwise he wouldn't have signed the contract, at which point they're going to end up stuck in this Mourinho hole once it all goes wrong because they've got a squad that he built where none of them like him. It's just going to end up in the Tottenham cycle again i saw it a few times on twitter like he's gone from spurs to the italian spurs now i don't know who should be more offended by that comparison spurs fans or roma fans but there is a lot of comparisons between the two teams
0: while party goers might while party goers might be talking about the k hole roma fans are talking <laughs> about the m hole right now the murino <laughs> hole no i agree with you man it's uh, i wouldn't be that excited if i was a roma fan And as an Inter fan, look, I've seen a lot of Inter fans in absolute distress. Like, no, man, it's unthinkable. Like, imagine the Inter-Roma game, seeing Mourinho, De San Siro, like, coaching another team that is not Inter. It's going to be weird. I wish him the best in life, but not the best on the pitch. Look, I don't think that Roma are that threatening of a club. I don't think they're going to push for the Scudetto. They're going to push for a spot in the Champions League next year. But I don't like the players that they have, they make a lot of sense under Sarri. The football that I have seen, and once again, I'm the number one Mourinho fan, but the football that Mourinho has played with Tottenham was absolutely unwatchable. Mm-hmm. Like the Catenaccio, once again, when they talked about Inter playing Catenaccio, no, go look at Tottenham. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that was absolutely dire to watch. And uh, I wouldn't be excited if I was a Roma fan, to say the least. Sari felt like the best, the better appointment. The one thing that Roma can count on is the media attention because Mourinho in Italy is going to draw a whole lot of media attention. He did when he was an in Inter Milan. It's like a circus that follows Mourinho. That's around. all he
1: does now. That all he does is attract Which media attention.
0: Takes me to the next point. Allegri and Sarri, give these two guys a job because with Allegri, Sarri, Conte and Mourinho all competing for the top spots in the same league, you are going to have a fun press conferences, especially mm. Mourinho and Conte. That's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Did you see the video of Conte being told that Mourinho is back in the league and he just starts laughing? Like, <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, yeah. fucking
1: this- loves it. He can't wait for those arguments, man. He cannot wait.
0: He can't wait. And, uh, and yeah, Mourinho is going gonna to dig up some shit. Straight um, away, straight away. It's going to be intense. Next year's Serie A is going to be fun. The other thing, the other headline in Serie A, before I break down this weekend's games, AC Milan fans growing more and more impatient with Donnarumma. And, actually, what a nice little leeway. On Sunday night in Serie A, we've got Juventus-Milan. And the saying that a lot is at stake is an understatement because this game could mean losing Donnarumma for AC Milan or losing Cristiano Ronaldo for Juventus. So there is a lot at stake. This game is going to take place on Sunday night at 8.45 p.m. At the moment, as we are speaking, the Serie A table reads... Atalanta second at 69, Juventus third at 69, AC Milan fourth at 69. Who are Atalanta going to take on this weekend? Well, Atalanta possibly have it the easiest since they're playing Parma, whom have been relegated. Which makes me think of the first statement by their American o- owner from Iowa, whom I fail to remember the name of. Kyle Krause. But, but his first statement was, I'm going to take Parma back to where it belongs. <laughs> Few people thought that it was a Serie B, but there you go. It's Serie B. So Atalanta are going to take on already relegated Parma on Sunday at 3 p.m. And then the the... And then it will go to AC Milan and Juventus. Other games that are very interesting to watch, Spezia-Napoli on Saturday. Now, Spezia have managed to get five out of 15 points in the last five games, but they need a few more. So this season alone, they have managed to beat Napoli in the first leg. AC Milan, Sassuolo, Roma, and they've managed to draw against teams like Inter and Atalanta. Inter, let's not forget, they're the Italian champions this year. So we definitely, in this part, I want to say, Rory, you as well, you definitely think that Spezia deserved to be in Serie A but their job is not quite done. They need just a few extra Mm -hmm. points and they can secure their stay in their top league. Napoli, their opponents this weekend, have won three in five, drawing only to Inter and Cagliari. And after Atalanta, they are the club with the best calendar in the UCL push. They are going to play Spezia, Udinese, Fiorentina and Verona. And they think that they can realistically win three out of four of these games. Next up, we've got on Saturday at 8.45pm, Fiorentina-Lazio. The first leg was won by uh, Lazio 2-1, goes by Caicedo-Immobile and Vlaovic. Now, Fiorentina have won only three in their last 15 games, drawing five and losing seven. However, they haven't lost in three games and Vlaovic, Dusan-Vlaovic, finally, I have the stats for you, buddy, is absolutely on fire. 10 goals in his last eight games for Fiorentina. His current tally is 19 goals in Serie A, six of them were penalties, three assists all in 33 games, and he becomes the youngest ever Fiorentina player to get these digits ever since a certain José Altafini in the 1958-1959 season.
1: Where's he going to be next season, Tommy?
0: Are Juve going to come in and poach him? I have no idea, but Fiorentina need to stay up. if they. And I feel like the guy is actually very happy at Fiorentina. He's Mm -hmm. understood that that's actually a very good place where to start moving his steps in uh, his... I mean, start scoring goals and making a name Mm -hmm. for himself in football. And he's also the only Fiorentina player to get to 19 goals in a single season ever since... You remember Alberto Gilardino? Damn.
1: Oh, Blake. with the, the archer thing, right? That was him, yeah. wasn't it?
0: The archer. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 The archer thing. Um, at the, he, no, he did the violin. He used to play the ah, violin. When he that was it. Yeah.
1: He used okay. to
0: play the violin. Yeah. But so Fiorentina have got their bomber possibly for another season. They need to stay up if they want to keep him. Lazio, on the other hand, their opponents this weekend, they have won seven of their last 10 games. They have also a game in hand, and they can still make a UCL. Uh, they can still make a UCL claim. Their calendar is not the easiest nor the toughest, but they need to put a string of wins together. And as Rory Yawns, I'm going to get to the. Sorry, last did you hear that? I game. thought I was on
1: mute. Oh, I thought I was on mute.
0: Damn. <laughs> No, I don't think you could hear it, but I saw you. <laughs> sorry. Oh, uh, it's been a I'm long sorry. day, guys. Serie A is the slow league, you know. It's not Premier League. But, Rory, no, the last game that, really that I'm going really to really talk weird. about is super exciting. <laughs> it's Benevento Cagliari. Holy oh, i awake again. Wow, let me hear all about it. So, Benevento and Cagliari are realistically the two teams that, at the moment, are fighting the drop zone. It's going to be a very intense game. Benevento have only got two points from 18 in their last six games. And getting wins versus Cagliari and Crotone could be enough to stay up. They are also going to play Atalanta and Torino, so I think that the games, this game and the one against Crotone are going to be the crucial ones, but on the other hand, Cagliari have put a string of results together. Mm -hmm. They've got three wins in their last five. They've drawn only to Napoli and lost only to Inter on April 11th. It seems like they have picked up their form, but their calendar is not easy. They take on Benevento this weekend and then Fiorentina, AC Milan and Genoa. So, Mm -hmm you can be sure that it's going to be a dog fight. And the Inter Milan, the Italian champions, they take on, I don't even remember who.
1: I don't know if you've seen the videos this week in training, but it looks like it's been a fun week there. Lots of partying, throwing each other around, up at A Gentile. I just forgot what you
0: told me. You just told me what it was called. A Piano piano Gentile. A Piano Gentile. It looks like it's been
1: a fun time up there, but maybe they might not put in the best performance against Sampdoria this weekend.
0: Yeah, one thing I have to say, (laughs) last night I met a friend of mine who is a chef and he said, Tomazzo, you're an Inter fan, right? And I was like, yeah, he was like, dude did you see what champagne they were celebrating with? And I was like, no. And they were celebrating with Valdobbiadene Spumante, which is literally the cheapest. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's because none of them have been paid for six months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just had to mention that because I was just like, really, was it Valdobbiadene? It's the champagne I was drinking. It's the Spumante I was drinking on Monday night. There Euros we go. You
1: were literally partying <laughs> like your heroes. But before we move on and say out, in slightly interconnected news, there was a really beautiful story for Adriano this week. I don't know if you saw this. Mm-hmm. He's going to be honoured. He is being put in the Maracanã Walk of Fame. So his foot and his um, autograph are going to be moulded into ceramic and put in around the stadium. And there was a really beautiful pictures on his Instagram of him crying when he found out. And then there was also an even better um, screenshot of him in Lukaku um, FaceTiming, which I just absolutely loved. I'm sure, Tommy, you must have been well happy when you saw that.
0: Mate, Lukaku said it when he came to Inter Milan. He was like, they asked him, So who was your idol growing up? Ronaldo. He was like, No, I'm a little too young for Ronaldo. Definitely Adriano. And I was like, Yes, man. And he's got <laughs> that Adriano, he's got a bit of that Adriano vibe. It was beautiful to see them together. Um, Yeah, man, an inter-legend together with another inter-legend, because Lukaku, I think he will be remembered. I don't know where he will go in the future, but I think he will be remembered a lot for his rebirth in Serie A. Let's go to the Premier League. Don't forget, on Sunday night, there is the big, big clash Juventus against AC Milan. Juventus, Rory, I doubt that they're going to win the string of games that they got before them because they are going to play in the matter of 10 days AC Milan, Sassuolo, Inter and Atalanta in the Coppa Italia final. I would be surprised if they won three out of four games there.
1: We shall see. I still think they'll sneak their way in. I think they they will sneak their way in because it's Juventus. But we all want to see them not do it. Right? We all want to see them not Absolutely.
0: Let's go to the Prem.
1: Let's go to the Premier League. And we're starting off, you know, sometimes football throws up these little twists of fate. And this weekend, we have a dress rehearsal for the Champions League final. So on Saturday at half past six, we have Manchester City versus Chelsea. So this is going to be a really, really interesting game now, as you are going to see both managers definitely scoping each other out, seeing what systems they're playing. Pep will play the system. He's definitely not going to play in the final. And you know that whichever team wins at the weekend is going to lose the final. That's just how football works. That is what's going to happen. So neither team is going to want to win this game, right? But that is on Saturday at half six. As I said, Tuchel's um record against Pep isn't fantastic, but maybe this is his chance to kind of put him in his place. Um I think the spotlight is mainly going to be on Mount versus Foden, right? These two players who are almost competing for the same position for England in the summer. They were both instrumental in their teams getting through to the final. So I think these are the players to keep an eye on in this game. And Chelsea, from, again, just testament to what a job Tuchel has done. If they win this, they could now go up to third um, and a point above Leicester. If Leicester don't beat Spurs this weekend, so Chelsea could definitely cement their place in the Champions League if they manage to beat Man City. But if Man City win, they win the title. As long as Manchester Manchester United don't win, so it could be. Look, we know City are going to win it. They might have to wait another week, but I think it's going to be a really, really interesting game. That is on Saturday at half six. Talking about the race for Europe in Champions League places, we have Leeds versus Spurs on Saturday at 1 o'clock. I know I always tell you to watch Leeds games, but you should just watch Leeds games. Um, Last time, this was 3-0 to Spurs, though, getting goals from Kane, Son and Alderweireld. But Leeds haven't won in three, and Bamford now has no goals in five, which is his longest stretch this season. So Spurs might fancy doing the double over Leeds this season. And... I don't know if it's Mason getting the best out of the players or if it's just that it's a happy camp or a happier camp now. But the players that were struggling under Mourinho seem to be starting to get a bit of form. Bale obviously getting a hat-trick at the weekend. Um, Son's starting to get a few goals. Kane still no goals since Mourinho left, which could be a worry. But the bigger worry for Spurs is that all of their managing options seem to be disappearing. They approached or were starting to approach Rodgers. He told them he had no interest. Then rumours started to appear for Ten Hag. The next day, he signs a contract extension at Ajax, which is a pretty clear statement. Um, so for Spurs, maybe they need to go back to the drawing board and think about who they are going to appoint. Are they Obviously, they're going to wait till the end of the season now. Just give Mason the rest of the season, see who they can get in the summer. Obviously, if they do get the Champions League, their options will be much better than if they don't. But... We shall see. I think Spurs will... I think they're going to end up getting Graham Potter from Brighton, which I think would be a very good move. But anyway, Saturday at at 1 o'clock, Leeds versus Spurs. Elsewhere in the race for Europe, we still have West Ham up there. They're still in the race. They are playing Everton on Sunday at half past five. They are currently in the table. They are three points behind Chelsea in fourth place and two above Spurs, as I mentioned. Now Everton have been struggling for form we've said they've not been doing well recently. West Ham might fancy a good result here. Last time out, um West Ham won 1-0 through Suchek in the 86th minute. And I think West Ham could do the double here especially as Antonio is finally back. And he got a brace against Burnley last weekend, and two players that stood out that haven't stood out for a while, I dare say, Rama and Lanzini really stepped up and could prove vital in this game. If, uh, but if Everton do win, they could overtake Liverpool in seventh place, which would be crazy for, t- for Everton to finish above Liverpool it would be mental. So that game is, as I said, on Sunday at half past five. Then we're going to look at the relegation battle. Now, we already know, unfortunately, Sheffield United have been relegated. And I think, I've said it before, the two teams that are already in the relegation zone, I think they're going to stay there. But we have Sheffield United bottom on 17, West uh, West Brom in 19th on 26, Fulham in 18th on 27, and then Newcastle in 17th on 36. Was now a nine-point gap with only four games left. So... Newcastle um first up they are playing against oh I did write it down
0: <laughs> damn it where's it they're called? playing against oh somebody. Newcastle
1: playing against Leicester on Friday night there we go they're playing against Leicester Friday night or tonight as you guys will call it um last time Leicester absolutely battered Newcastle and the Newcastle was starting to show a bit of form but then against Arsenal they looked so underwhelming they just went back to where they, they they look like they've gone back to square one. And I think Leicester could win this fairly comfortably. For Leicester, this could be massive. They could kind of cement their place above Chelsea. If they do lose, they could lose their spot to Chelsea. So it's not like Newcastle are going to have an easy game here. Leicester still have plenty to play for. That is, on as I said, on Friday at 9 o'clock. Elsewhere, West Brom are away to Arsenal. Arsenal. Now, this was probably one of Arsenal's performances of the season. Um, We managed to beat them 4-0 at um, the Hawthorns. It was definitely one of our best performances. And I think, look, uh, I'm going to claim it. Arsenal will win this game, right? Um, Especially as West Brom are without Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Ivanovic and Snodgrass, who have been three important players for them this season. That is on Sunday at 9 o'clock. And then Fulham on Monday at 9 o'clock are playing Burnley. Now, Burnley are very lucky that the teams below them are so terrible they're only on 36 points tied with Newcastle so they're nine points above it as well but if if it's a big if but if Fulham or West Brom one of them manage to get some form together Burnley and Newcastle could find themselves dragged into it but I think they should be safe now last time Fulham versus Burnley was one all and Yeah, both of these teams are in terrible form. Burnley have only won one of their last five, losing four. And Fulham have only won one of their last seven, uh, scoring three and conceding 12. But that win was the 1-0 win away uh, against Liverpool at Anfield. So you never know. But that is the Premier League. Those are the games I think are worth keeping an eye out on.
0: And staying in the Premier League, this news has just come in on my Twitter feed. The English Footballing Federation, Rory, are you scared? (laughs) No, you shouldn't be. They have simply officially asked the UEFA, given the current situation of coronavirus cases in Turkey, to move the Champions League final to... Birmingham. And you can be sure Park,
1: yes, Villa you, Park Champions You, you can be sure
0: that Tommy Shelby and the Peaky Blinders are ready to take that cup. <laughs> and I did steal this little quote by Calciatori Brutti, the ugly footballers, great page on Instagram, by the way. And as I was checking their page, I also realized that we forgot a trophy in N'Golo Kante's trophy cabinet. Of course, the Europa League that he won under Sarri. So the Champions League would really be the cherry on top. Rory, let's do a very quick five-minute Euro review for Bundesliga, La Liga, and League. A. let Let's start.
1: You said Bundesliga first. I I did did the same one. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so in the Bundesliga, we know that the title race is pretty much over, but Hertha Berlin have a crazy mad weekend. So they are currently playing and winning 2-0, and then they are going to play again on Sunday for another game in hand to try and keep their survival hopes open. So at the moment in the Bundesliga, towards the bottom, we have Schalke on 13, already relegated. Köln on 29. Armenia on 30. And Hertha Bremen, off, Hertha Berlin, a 3-0 up. They are now one point out of the relegation zone. Incredible scenes, but they have a very busy weekend. They are playing Freiburg again on Sunday, I said, right? But at the top of the table, we have Dortmund versus Leipzig. That is going to be on Saturday at half past three. I was looking into this. Leipzig haven't beaten Dortmund in their last six. The last time they beat them was in 2017. Ober got two. Sabitzer, Polsen and Augustin got the goals. Oh, of course, Sabitzer scores. He always scored, but that game could definitely be keep it. Uh, could definitely be worth watching. Saturday at half three, Bayern are playing Munchen Glad back at Saturday on Saturday at half six. And yeah, that's it. In the relegation zone, Werder Bremen looking trouble. They're away to Leverkusen on Saturday at half three. They've lost all of their last five. The last time they got relegated was nineteen eighty. Is the only relegation they've had in their history, and it looks like they could be repeating that awful awful thing this year so all the action is at the bottom of the table in the bundesliga but keep an eye on dortmund leipzig should we go to espana
0: in spain it's all about the top of the league as you can guys check the bottom of the uh, the bottom of the table teams all have fairly difficult games but the table is currently reading atletico madrid 76 Real Madrid seventy four, Barcelona seventy four, Sevilla seventy, and you can be sure that these four teams are going to be playing each other this weekend. We start on Saturday at four fifteen p.m. with Barcelona Atletico Madrid. The first game was won by Atletico Madrid one nil, thanks to a goal by Carrasco, uh, by Carrasco. Sorry, Barcelona blew a lead against Granada two weeks ago and came out 3-2 winners against Valencia last week. They've won four in their last five, losing only one. On the other hand, Atletico Madrid have won three, drawn one, and lost one. This is really... What do you call it? Um... Uh, Make it or break it situation? Make or Uh, break. Yeah, make or break. Make or break situation, especially for Atletico Madrid. But on Sunday night at 9pm, knowing already the result from Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid take on Sevilla. Definitely the easier, in quotation marks, game of the two. Um, they won the first, uh, uh, the first game 1-0, thanks to a known goal by the very good goalkeeper that we've often mentioned, Bonu from Sevilla. Real Madrid have won only two. In their last five, Varane, Carvajal and Vasquez are still out, while Sevilla have been on a mad run. They've won four of their last five, but the last game was a loss against the Athletic Club. So La Liga fans, keep your eyes towards the top of the table this weekend, because we might know if the team that Rory and I have been backing all season long is going to lift the La Liga trophy. Or not. But let's go to France, Ligue 1, Rory. What have we got?
1: We have Derby Central in France, and uh, that, that could potentially decide the title race and the relegation spots. So starting on Friday or tonight at nine o'clock in the Derby de Nord, we have Lons versus Lille. Um, Lons, of course, tried to have a say last weekend against PSG but lost 2-1. They were very unlucky. But the last time they played Lille, they lost 4-0. Definitely not unlucky. Lille now unbeaten in five, winning four of those games. Lons one two, drawn two, and lost one in their last five. And all of a sudden, the comfort that Lons were in in a European spot now looks a bit less comfortable as they are level on points with Marseille, who are kind of coming from nowhere but for Lille, it is all about keeping the momentum and just keeping going forward. Behind them, we have PSG. They are playing Rennes on Sunday at 9 o'clock. PSG, of course, fresh from being knocked out of the Champions League. They need this title win, right? Poch needs this title win. This is going to be big for Paris Saint-Germain. Funnily enough, last season, Ron uh, Ron won this fixture. It's quite hard to say. Ron won this fixture, 2-1 um, at home. So, PSG won't be feeling massively comfortable. So, I think this game w- might be worth keeping an eye on as well. In the relegation battle, we have Derby de L'Antique, Atlantique. Sorry, my French is awful. Derby de l'Atlantique. There we go. Thank you. There we go. As nonce, nonce, nonce. I can't say it without it sounding like nonce. Anyway, nonce are playing Bordeaux on Saturday at 1 o'clock. They are very, very close in the table. So nonce are currently 18th in the playout spot, and they are five points behind Bordeaux. If they win this, of course, that could be cut down to two points. Bordeaux being dragged in to the relegation battle Bordeaux have lost four of their last five Nantes have now won their last two so they will fancy their chances as I said this is on Saturday at one o'clock elsewhere Lorient are away to Lyon on Saturday at five that looks like a tough ask and Nîmes are away to Metz on Sunday at three o'clock so relegation could be all but decided this weekend in France
0: and that's our extensive Euro review covering Europa League, Champions League, Serie A, Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, and Ligue 1. Sometimes it's it's like the seven dwarfs from Snow White. It's um, dopey, good. <laughs> and the dopey, yeah, that's the last one. <laughs> but we're all ready to jump to our weekly topic proposed by Rory Crisquolo. What are we going to talk about, Mate.
1: We're going to be talking about the three most exciting youngsters for Italy and England heading into the Euros.
0: And welcome to our weekly topic section dedicated to the three most exciting youngsters for Italy and England in the Euro 2021 Championship. We are in for a summer full of football, for a summer full of fun, and hopefully both English and Italian fans will be able to cheer on their players all the way to the long-awaited final Let's start from here, Rory. Do you think that England have got a chance to make it all the way to the final?
1: Such a dangerous question. Um, yeah. We always have the potential. We always have the possibility of reaching it. Whether we do or not is so very... The the curse that's been... Cu- um, the curse that's been cursing English football since 1966. I don't know. I think this is one of the better generations we've had. Um and there is a cause for optimism. I just I'm less convinced about the coach. We'll get into that um, I'm less convinced about the coach, but I think yeah, I think we have a shout. Tommy, do you think you could meet us in the final?
0: I think that Italy kind of have a moral duty to make a statement in this Euro 2021 championship. We missed out for the first time in our history in the latest World Cup. There are a lot of youngsters that missed out on that opportunity that are going to be fueled up to make a statement this this time around. Um, But also, when I look at the future of other national teams, I think that the... The future of the Italian national team is looking quite gray at the moment. We don't have as many exciting youngsters as many other European or world nations. So I think that this is our last opportunity. I'm going to say it. I deeply believe that this is our last opportunity to make a statement in a tournament for until at least not next year's World Cup, the one after. So this is really an important, important tournament for Italy. But we're here to break down the most exciting youngsters in each of these two squads, Italy and England. Let's start with your first name, Rory, for the England squad.
1: Okay, the first name. There's only one name we can start with. I feel like I've said this name more than my own father's name in my life at the moment. And it's, of course, Philip Foden. Where else can you start except from the Stockport in the Esther, right? Now, I was reading about this guy. It's fascinating. So he was kind of approached by City when he was four years old, right? They put him through private school. And they paid for his private school, and then he went straight into the academy. Now, this guy, well, what can we say about him, really? It's... He's already won the Under-17 World Cup with England. He's won three Premier Leagues, four League Cups, two Community Shields, a potential Champions League coming up. But I wanted to focus... I was watching some analysis of his performances and the type of player he is. So, as we've seen, he's a player who can play as both a winger and a kind of playmaker in the middle, right? Now, he's got he's got the pace and the the dribbling ability to beat a man. That means he can play on the wing. He can get the ball into the box. But also, he's got the ability to be able to drop deep, hold a player off, create space, pull other players out of position as well, and pick out a pass and play that playmaker role. I think his versatility, this is something that you're going to see with all of the players I've picked, that their versatility is a strength, and this is going to be useful, as I think Southgate doesn't really still know what system he wants to use, and maybe he'll be changing system during the tournament. But if we go back to Foden, yes he's incredibly exciting to watch and the stats alone so in this season he has 14 goals and 10 assists in all competitions and not only that he's performed on the big stage so in the quarterfinals versus Dortmund in the Champions League he scored two goals and he set up a goal in the first leg versus PSG in the semi-final so he's definitely not afraid of a big game and He's just one of the most exciting prospects to come out of England in a long, long time. If I was Gareth Southgate, I would be building the team around him. He is the first name on the sheet, right? Where can we fit the attackers in around him? How can we utilize our attack to make him at his optimum level? And of course, focusing on the, how do we get him and Kane to have a great relationship? If he can get those balls into Kane and we can get Kane to not drop deep, it's key Get Kane to stay in the box. You're a number 10. You're a number nine. Stay in the box. That's what you're for. And get Foden to just get those balls into him. I think it could be really, really, really dangerous. Just me, what, what, what are your impressions of Foden? Having watched him, what type of player do you think he is? What have you been impressed by?
0: I think he can play even as a striker at this point. I mm. think that you can really put him anywhere you want in the field as a winger, as a... I mean, like, imagine... Imagine if Southgate played with a false nine and Foden, I know that's not his position, played as the number nine. Like the guy would create, would wreck so much havoc on the, the opposite, of the opposing team's defense. I think he's an, uh, he's incredibly young. He's incredibly talented. And this is just the beginning of his career um i feel like we haven't gotten this excited for an english player in a long mm. long time and especially because england have this history of having incredible talents that however underperform in the international stage uh, people have been very careful in saying this is the next big talent in english football well all over Europe, people in France, Spain, Italy, Germany, wherever people have been talking about Phil Foden. I think he is really a diamond that he's he can only improve. That's the thing that I find is scary about Foden. Mm-hmm. We didn't mention it earlier in our Euro review, but man, that control, I don't remember who passed him mm-hmm. the ball during the PSG game, but that control with his back heel, has his spinning, yes. steals space from the defender, shoots to the far post, Post. Well, I mean, he still has, he still needs that bit of criticality in front of goal. Mm -hmm. Like you Mm -hmm. need to, to, to shoot on target and score because he's got everything else. But yeah, as the number, as your number one pick for, for the English squad, I think that, yeah, Foden is the most exciting name in your team. 100%. And the
1: when you like think about it like there's a quote from him uh, a quote about him from Guardiola. So mm-hmm. he has everything to become one of the best players. I've said many times in press conferences but maybe not said it in front of him. Phil is the most 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 talented player I have ever seen in my career as a manager. His only problem is sometimes his manager doesn't put him in the starting 11. Hopefully in the future that can improve. So obviously this is quite an old quote. But for Guardiola to say he is the best talent he's ever worked with, and I know that honestly, obviously the first name that comes into your head is, mate, you've worked with Messi, right? But for him to say that Foden is the best talent he's ever worked with is incredible. Obviously, I'm not going to go on he's better than Messi vibes because he's not going to be better than Messi. Nobody's going to be better than Messi. But if he can even get within... A thousand miles of that level, we are going to have an incredible player on our hands. And it is just the idea of him playing the next, what, how many tournaments does a good player have? Four, five tournaments?
0: Five or six. Maybe, yeah, yeah,
1: five or six tournaments. The idea of him playing the next five or six tournaments for England is incredibly exciting. And just, yeah, you're right. He can only get better and he's being coached by the best coach in the world. And we've talked about it a few times, the way Guardiola has managed his career and managed his um, his involvement in the team has definitely meant that where is in the past, players like Rooney, Owen, um, even Gascoigne, they played so much when they were young that they burn out by the time they're 26, 27. They've just played 500 games and their hamstrings have gone. But that is my first pick for exciting youngster to watch in England. Tommy, let's go for your first Italian exciting youngster.
0: Well, I mean, when I think about the the Italian national squad, I'm not thinking about the most exciting youngster, which I don't believe we 100% have. I'm thinking about the youngsters that absolutely need, for their career's sake, to make a statement in this competition. And number one is our number one, Gianluigi Donnarumma, whom every time I check his age, I'm like, doesn't he get old? Why do I keep celebrating my birthdays and get older. And he's always like 22. He's still 22 years old. So Gianluigi Donnarumma is a very good goalkeeper. He's a st- He's been playing as a starter for AC Milan for the best part of six years now. He debuted when he was 16 years old. He's already got 25 appearances in the senior national team. He's taking on uh, Buffon's heritage. So definitely a lot of pressure on his shoulders I think that Donnarumma really needs to have a good tournament to justify a lot of the talk that there has been around him. Now, you know that I have a soft spot for goalkeepers. I do not think that Gianluigi Donnarumma at the moment is one of the top five keepers in the world. He's definitely got a lot of experience, but he still needs to show, he he's come up, don't get me wrong, he's come up clutch with a lot of, Incredible saves this season for AC Milan and in the previous seasons as well. But this is his first big opportunity on the international stage. As Italians, we have been spoiled with goalkeepers from Pagliuca to Buffon to Toldo to Donnarumma. He's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders. I want to see him perform and perform well because as much as there have been beautiful saves and incredible uh, performances by him. AC Milan fans will remember a lot of dumb mistakes too. Mm. This is the opportunity, in my opinion, for him to say, look, this is my price tag and this is why it is fully justified. It's not only because of my age, but it's because Mm. I am one of the best keepers in the world. Because I think that he could be up there. He can be up there. He just misses this much but i want to see him in this i mean all the way to the final how many games is that three four five six i want to see him if we get all the way to the final six games he's fully focused never fucks up he guarantees you performances what do you think rory
1: yeah well i feel like for a goalkeeper more than anything it's 90 percent experience right so those mistakes are going to be ironed out it's about your positioning your reading of the game your reading like your awareness. And I think that obviously comes with age, but I wanted to put you on the spot a little bit and ask why do you think Italy consistently have incredible goalkeepers? England have not had arguably a world-class goalkeeper since David Seaman, right? I would say,
0: I think maybe I'm
1: going to make a fool of myself there, but I think David Seaman was the last world-class one. Why do you think Italy consistently have incredible goalkeepers?
0: Why do Italy consistently have very good centre-backs? Because I think that our philosophy of football starts with the defence. And uh, I mean, and I love it. I love it. But I think that the reason why we have such a good school of great goalkeepers, it's because, unfortunately, especially over the past 20 years, we haven't had that talent, that Phil Foden-like talent up Mm. front, so if you don't have that guy you need to compensate with your mm-hmm. okay. with your defense and I think well and then I think that you know I mean um, Dino Zoff one of the considered one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time I think he was the one who started like the legend of Italian goalkeepers then we got really lucky and we had the Gianluigi Buffon but this means that there are people training these goalkeepers and so it means mm-hmm. that over time we have come up with a very good uh goalkeeping school I want to say Um, I I remember when I was a kid um, my father always tried to talk me out of taking on football because I wasn't that talented but I remember that in the summer for goalkeepers because that was the position that I wanted to play in there were plenty of like summer camp goalkeeping it wasn't a football summer camp it was a goalkeeping Mm. summer camp only for goalkeepers. So I think that maybe back in the day Zoff started this trend and then we've had other world class keepers and now Italians they just know what they're doing. But this could be interesting too.
1: Well, it's I- one of the only it's one of the only sports where There's a player on the pitch who plays a completely different sport to every other sport, to every other
0: player, right?
1: It's not even close to what every other player does. I've
0: been dying to say this on the pod. The goalkeeper is such a unique role in football. Like, the number one rule in football, you want to score a goal with your butt cheeks, you do it. You want to score it with your shoulder, you do it. Score it with your tongue, you can do it. Just one thing, dude, don't touch the ball with your fucking hands. And the idea that there is this crazy guy that has got gloves on to <laughs> take it with his hands. And he's also got the thing that I, f- I find the most fascinating, that he's got his own territory to yeah, like yeah, whatever yeah, the yeah. Talk he wants. Yeah. Oh my God, I find it so sexy. He's playing a different sport from every other player. But Rory, this point about Italian goalkeepers would be very interesting to ask to a professional goalkeeper which we need to get on the pod. But who's your number two talent in the English squad that we should be looking forward to seeing play this summer?
1: So my second player is West Ham fans. Tom, listen up. It is, of course, Declan Rice. Now, this player is, again, a very, very versatile player. So started his career at Chelsea at the age of 14, where he was released he was very, very quickly picked up by West Ham. He didn't have a great start there. He was almost released again at sixteen, but he did manage to prove his worth and his very obvious talent now, when he first came into the team, it was under Moise's first spell in seventeen eighteen and he actually started as a center back and he was playing in a back three as the kind of ball playing defender and this showed that he had the ability. To defend, he had the defensive awareness, the positioning, the ability to tackle, but he was also able to carry the ball, pick out a pass and progress play. And this is very much where his game has moved on from since then. Of course, now he plays in defensive midfield alongside Suchek, the size of both of them. I think he's six foot two and Suchek six foot three. They're both huge, but to say that his physicality is his strength, that's not his main strength. What his strength really is, is his ability to read the game. So in his interceptions and his tackling, in his second season, but his first full season under Pellegrini, this is when he really had his, like, he was playing every game, right? So over that season, he got 145 tackles or interceptions that season. That's averaging 4.5 um, every 90 minutes. Now, this put him behind Ndidi and a uh, gay but ahead of N'Golo Kante and Fernandinho. So they were on 3.4, 3.3 a game, and he was on 4.5. That was in his first full season at West Ham where he really made himself a regular. Um, And from then, he's just moved on from strength to strength. That season, he got his first goal for West Ham. Of course, it was against Arsenal. It was a 1-0 win. And this is, it shows another side of his game that he's now kind of progressed even further. And it's a, it's his attacking ability. So he's moved from a center back where he's gained his defensive knowledge to midfield, where he's gained his kind of reading of the game, his leading from midfield. And now he's kind of pushing to become a real box to box midfielder. And If there's one reason why West Ham are where they are at the moment, you could argue that it's because they've got Declan Rice in that midfield. He is just running that team. So last year, in 1920, he was voted Hammer of the Year. Okay, His stats went up to 5.1 tackles, interceptions per 90 minutes, but he also started adding dribbling and passing. So his passing was 86% accuracy. He got three assists. And he was averaging 1.3 successful dribbles a game. So he was really starting to progress. Now, I all, it always reminds me of the Arsenal game this season. I think there was a moment, that mad 3-3. There was a moment where he picked up the ball in defence and just ran with it. And he ran the whole length of the pitch. And I thought, oh, Christ, he's going to score here. He's going to score here. He's going to score here. But well, thankfully, it didn't go in. But I think he has really, really matured. And this West Ham season has just progressed him massively. for England. Again, because Southgate doesn't really know what system he's playing at the moment, he can go to a 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1, a 4-3-2-1, he doesn't really know what he's doing. The one consistency is that Declan Rice plays that holding that holding midfield role. And when you know that you've got that linchpin and someone who has done it and on, on the Premier League in the Premier League for two two and a half seasons, it's just such such a statement so he's now 20 years old right 20, 22 years old and he has 128 premier league performances at 22 years old that level of experience is insane
0: yeah, that's kind of like Donnarumma. Maybe he's not a finished product, but he's got a lot of experience behind him. And Declan Rice, from the little that I have seen, as you were saying, having that type of personality, that type of player at midfield really makes it easier for the entire team. And uh, yeah, he's... Uh, he's How old is he again? 2022.
1: 22. Just turned 22. Yeah, yeah. I
0: feel like in football, there was a generation that kind of skipped from 1990, I want to say, to 1995. We don't have that many players. Like, I mean, there are some, there are some, no, there are some good players, but I feel like this end of the 1990s generation is really mm. something else. Like 1998, well, like 1999.
1: That's, that's quite an interesting point because I think that, if you think about the Premier League started in 92, right? And then for the first 10 years or so of the Premier League, it was still quite amateurish. And then it the, the, it got to a point where sports science was brought in and it got very analytical and very statistics-based and very like scientific. And maybe that has also improved the level of youngster coming through that now, as I said, Phil Foden's picked up at four years old and been like, right, we're investing everything into you for the next 30 years, knowing that they'll get a player right at the end of it and all the technology and the people around it mean that you reach a higher ceiling quicker. I don't know. I feel like football is going to become a younger game.
0: No, and I agree with you, and I'm thinking off the top of my head, who are the big Italian talents born in in my generation? Uh, Insigne, Immobile, Belotti. Berardi, Balotelli. This is the incredible talent that Italy was able to bring out in that generation. Uh, yeah, you guys could have done better. But my second name is, of course, Alessandro Bastoni. I read over the weekend that he, he's got a... How do journalists know this? How nosy must you be? But he's got a group chat with his family called lasso di bastoni now a little italian history we play with different uh, you call them seeds in cards right we don't have spades hearts oh different
1: um suits sorry suits.
0: in italian we call yeah. them seeds sorry different suits um we don't have uh, spades uh, diamonds hearts and what's the last one it's like the seven cards and clubs, but we <laughs> yeah. have we have Italian cards with clubs, but they're li- it's literally a dude holding a club, and it's called bastone. Then we've got cups, coppe. Then we've got ori, ori, which is like golden coins, mm-hmm. and then the last one is swords. And uh, asso di bastoni, in many games, the ace of clubs is like the most important thing you have in nice. your deck. And uh, he's got this group chat called ace of clubs now he's got already 55 appearances sorry 71 appearances for Inter Milan having scored two goals in the Italian national team he's already got only four appearances for the for the senior team but I think that Mancini is going to start him now Italy differently from Inter we play with a four-man defense defense So I don't know who will be partnering him, either Bonucci or Chiellini, but I know that Mancini has got a soft spot for youngsters and is definitely going to give him a lot of playing time. Now, today, I read a bit of an interview with Stevan De Vrij, which, in my opinion, is Inter's best defender, and he said, dude, ever since the beginning of the season, Alessandro Bastoni came to me telling me, we're going to win the Scudetto. We're the best team. We're going to win the Scudetto. We're the best team. We're going to win the league. And at a point, De Vrij said that it kind of like started nagging him. And he was just like, dude, not to be a dick, but I've played way more football than you have. And it's not that easy. And Bassoni was just like, dude, don't worry. We're going to win the league. So this to say that a guy with this attitude, he's a youngster. He did say, and they mentioned it on the pod before, that he felt almost like Inter shouldn't have signed him. He talked to Conte and they feel like, I feel like this is beyond what I can do. I'm not ready for this. And Conte was like, dude, I wanted you. You're going to start. I think that this guy has been managed by one of the best managers in the world mm-hmm. for two seasons now. He's really learned his position. He needs to adapt a little bit to a four-man defense, but he's already played in it when he played in Parma three seasons ago. So I think that a lot of the attention should be put in him. He's a very strong centre-back, great sense of the position, and also which the Italy football team probably needs somebody who can build from the back, Mm -hmm. like Bonucci has been doing over and over again. So I think that also considering our future, Bonucci and Chiellini, They might be there for the World Cup next year. I don't think they will be there for the next Euros. So this is the moment where he has to take the relay and show that he can actually be a reliable centre-back.
1: No, well, I've told you, Tommy, he's one of the first players at Inter that I was like, who is that guy? And I watched him, I was like, this guy is like silky smooth, calm on the ball, able to pick a pass, Great defender. I love the enthusiasm of youth of like we're gonna win it. Don't worry, we're fine, we're sick, we'll win it. Like, I love that. I think look, he's had such a great season in that Conte defense. You know, you won enough games one-nil. That's not a dig, that's a compliment. <laughs> you won enough games one-nil to show that you're defensively solid, and he was a huge, huge part of that. So I think it's a great base to have there, and I think, yeah. It's so very Italian that two of your prospects are a goalkeeper and a centre-back, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, right, 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 right. Exactly, because we will see the rest of the team, except the midfield, is eh, a little shaky. But another thing about this guy's attitude, when Andanovic almost got scored against, against Verona, Mm. when that ball dropped and they didn't pick it, the fact that Bastoni, the youngest one in the team, talks to the captain that way, like, dude that was a high, like, you should have jumped instead of waiting for it Mm -hmm. to come on your arms. Like, that takes balls, but besides balls, you're not being a dick, you're just caring about your team, Mm -hmm. and you have the balls to go tell your captain you should have done something different. So this guy is really prime footballing material, and I hope that he makes a statement in the Euros. Rory, we go to your third and last English squad take. And in, in case you guys couldn't sense it in the air, there is a little bit of pew, 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 gunner's attitude coming in.
1: There is always an Arsenal awesome perspective, and I can feel people's eyes rolling. But this player isn't going to be a starter for England, but I think he's going to be a key member of the squad, and his versatility really is his strength. I think this is where he's going to be a key member. And it is, of course, our star boy, Bakayo Saka. Now, Ooh. I am... I am obviously obsessed with this kid, but I think honestly, the fact that he's been in a terrible Arsenal team means that people don't realize how good he is. He's been our best player, granted, in a crap squad, but he's already one of our best players. The guy is 19 years old. He was born in 2001, I want to say, which makes me feel so. That was. A year after I started high school. Oh my god.
0: But sorry, you know that I love to bring out this stat. He probably doesn't remember what happened in New York on 9/11. <laughs> he was born
1: 6 days before it. <laughs> oh my god. That's mental. You um, see
0: born- you see you see how crucial this event is it's- in world history. No. It creates a before and an after. It's not because I support fucking terrorism. God damn it. it.
1: I feel like with a pod that now uses it as a time reference, but yeah, the world there is very much pre and post that date, but Saka is technically pre it by six days. And anyway, where did we get that? How did we get there? Um, I think what, what he's shown is at 19, his knowledge and his ability to just play any position on the football pitch is mental. So for Arsenal already, he has played left back, right back, right back, central midfield right wing left wing and attacking midfield so he has played in all of those positions and he hasn't looked out of place in any of those positions every time he's filled in he's done a job he's done very well now obviously his strength is on the wing i would say right wing his ability for one touch passing is incredible the way he receives the ball on the half turn and holds players off and is able to just give that ball quickly <clears throat> sorry, he's got the vision for a pass. The one, one criticism I would have of him is that he does need to improve his finishing. But like we said with Foden, I think, again, these are young players. The composure, the confidence in front of goal will come o- over time. I just think this guy has been absolutely tearing it up in an Arsenal team that had been absolutely terrible. So, so far, he's played 83 games for Arsenal, got 11 goals and 20 assists. This year, seven goals and nine assists alone. And as I've said, I'll say it again, we've been shit this year. Um, And also, on the big stage, okay, not the Champions League, but the Europa League, he's got two goals and four assists in the knockout round of the Europa League this year as well. He got an assist against United and he scored against Chelsea. And yes, the goal against Chelsea was a shot. I don't care if it looked like a fluke. It was a shot. It was a goal. And I just think he's gone a bit under the radar because of how bad Arsenal have been. And I think, for Southgate, a manager who I've said the system isn't particularly fixed, Saka could be a really useful player. Of He could even change the system halfway through the game and be like, okay, you're left wing. Okay, now we need your wing back. Okay, now we need your central midfield. Being able to have this player who's so adept in so many positions is just such... I don't think many countries have this. And I think Saka really could be a very, very useful weapon.
0: Absolutely agreed. You are the one who made me hop on the Saka hype train. But um uh yeah for for the I haven't watched that many Arsenal games this season. But I don't blame you. I
1: wish I hadn't. No,
0: but he definitely makes a difference. Whenever you see him play, he's the one who you're like, okay, we might suck, but there is that guy. The only thing I think differently from Foden is like he can only improve. I think mm-hmm. that Saka can only improve, but I think that he's a step behind oh, the Golden's or the, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, all yeah, the yeah. others. He's yeah, no,
1: little... I, I, I think you're right. He is a level below. But I think, like I said, I think his the real strength to him at the moment is that you're able to move him all around the park and he's effective wherever he is. I think that is like the real strength and like Not. even he's he's played central midfield like deep and become a playmaker almost like the guy is his versatility is insane
0: The thing that scares me about Saka is the amount of flair that he's got. (laughs) He's got a lot of flair and he's got a a little too little ears to manage it all. So you you know what I mean? Like either, either he learns how to use his flair effectively or it could become Neymar in the most annoying games. So that's really up to him. It's up to the coach. It's up to the team to to make him understand how much of his flair can be used and shall mm. be used. Because in any pickup game, in any square, Baka Yosaka is going to rake havoc all over the place in a footballing game with professional footballers for 90 minutes in a European competition, you need to have a little more brains, I think. Mm.
1: Sterling has put down his recent progress or his progress over the last couple of years down to the fact that Arteta was the one that coached him and kind of said, this is how you need to be more efficient. This is how you're more clinical. And I think if Arteta can do that with Saka, then we could have a great player. He seems to be doing it with Pepe as well. Like, yeah, the nutmegs are great, but let's get a bit of end product. So I think Arteta being able to coach him will make him a potentially, I think he's going to be world-class. I just don't think he's not at the Foden level, but I think he will definitely be world-class. And I think, I'll say it again, for England to have him on the bench in the squad will be such a little, little like ace in the pocket to stick with the um, card metaphors. I think he could be a really useful, useful player. So finally, Tommy, who are we going for, for number three for Italia?
0: Wow. Number three most exciting youngster for the Italian national team, I don't know. Meaning that in midfield, we've got two in three incredible talents, in my opinion. Uh, Luca Pellegrini for Roma. He's a midfielder and the captain for Roma. Then we've got Manuel Lucatelli for Sassuolo. And finally, we've got Nicolo Barella for Inter Milan. All these three players are all very young, in their 20s, early 20s. They could all make a statement. Barella, we've kind of seen him in the big stage already this year with Inter Milan. Locatelli, born in 1998, he's currently 23 years old. He's had an incredible season at Sassuolo. He's already made nine starts and scored one goal for the Italian senior squad. And the other one is um, Luca Pellegrini. He's the Roma captain. Mm -hmm. He's a very... That's, to me, he's like one of the best Italian midfielders at the moment. These three players, I put them all on the same level. Uh, Barella maybe, actually, definitely a few steps higher. No, Mm -hmm. because he's at Barella, what he's done in the last two years. like, He's absolutely incredible. And there are already talks of him becoming the next inter-captain. So the three players, they could all make a statement. They are, it's very unlikely that the three of them are going to start at the same time, considering that we've got Verratti and Jorginho also ready to come in. And one of the two is always going to be playing in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So my third youngster is Mr. X, meaning that we need a youngster to really come out and be like, wow, We didn't see that coming, but this is the player that has really meant us the European title. Um, That's in my dreams, of course, but Will it be Pellegrini? Will it be, will it be, sorry, uh, I said <laughs> Barella Pellegrini and the other one was Locatelli. Locatelli yeah. Will it be Locatelli? I think that Locatelli, for some reason, seeing how he's progressed ever since leaving AC Milan in the last three years as a swallow, I think it could be him. My worry is that our attack is not going to deliver that many goals. So Belotti and Immobile, we've seen the amount of goals that they miss. We've seen a lot of lack of movement from Belotti. Maybe we need Keen to really make a statement. Mm. I don't know. But my third youngster is up to you to decide. And I hope that somebody really comes out and uh, and shows some grit, shows some determination and some desire to, we- to wear the Italy short, the Italy shirt and really and really try and uh, and win this this competition.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Yeah, you're waiting for one of them to kind of step up to the plate. I think if I had to put money on any of them to step up, it would be Barella, because we've seen that he's stepped up at Inter. He was incredible at Cagliari that he was at before that, right? Um, so I think I would put my money on him. But Locatelli, we've talked about him. Very exciting player. I think off the bench, he could be quite an impact. I feel like for Sassuoli, he comes off the bench quite a bit and makes
0: the yeah, my, impact, like impact. My simple worry is that we are not going to rely on our attack to score goals that much. No, no we,
1: but, Yeah, we don't know who your striker is yet. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are yeah. going to rely. I think that we're going to rely. Our midfield is beautiful. I think we've got one of the best midfields in the competition this season with Locatelli, mm-hmm. Sensi, Barella, Pellegrini, Giorgino Verratti. Already these six names, they're fucking big deals Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Since I don't know if we're going to get that many goals from our forwards, even if we will, it will depend a lot on the way the midfield plays. So Mm -hmm. I think that our third most exciting youngster is to be looked in that team. Again, Barella... Has had an incredible two seasons at Inter Milan, but I think that the guy is gonna run out of fuel too. The guy got <laughs> the guy has got to be tired, just a little bit, yeah, a yeah. little bit tired. So somebody else will need to take the relay from him. So yeah, Mister X is my third take for the Italy national team. I went with Gianluigi Donnarumma and Alessandro Bastoni, while Rory Squall went with the one and only Phil Foden, followed by. Declan Rice and Baka Yosaka, just because we can't bring, we can't not bring an Arsenal perspective to our part.
1: There has to be, there has to be an Arsenal view. I am unashamedly biased and I think he's great. So you know what? It's our podcast. I don't need to explain myself to you guys. He's on my list.
0: Yeah, you're listening. It's your fault <laughs> if you don't like what you're hearing. But Rory, talking about England and Italy, you did pick last week your topic for our one minute to kick off quiz and it was Italians in the Premier League funnily enough you haven't said from which year to which year so we're gonna have to go back a little bit to the 1990s are you ready
1: the whole era of the Premier League let's do it
0: And here we are in our section dedicated to the one and only one-minute-to-kick-off quiz created and designed by the one and only Rory Criscuolo, who is here tonight as a guest. He's going to be playing the game. How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling good. Nice and focused. Ready to do Italy in England.
0: Currently we are standing at seven point to five for me. So this is going to be Rory's chance to really try and overtake me. Rory didn't specify which years we were going to cover, so I just went with Italians in the Prem all over the 20th and the 21st century. Mr. Chris Qualo. From the city of Crewe, near Manchester Currently living in Milan Displaying a beautiful red beard Are you ready to go? Sono pronto Let's do it So, starting in 3 2 1 Who is the Italian with the most goals in the Premier League? Zola Wrong Who is the Italian with most appearances in the Premier League?
1: Cudicini?
0: wrong in 1996 Benny Carbone left Inter to join his first ever Premier League side which club was it
1: Derby County
0: wrong oh. Chelsea Liverpool Sunderland what's the fourth Premier League club Fabio Borini has played for Chelsea
1: Liverpool Sunderland and no oh, pass
0: Wrong. Yeah, wrong. Ancelotti, Mancini, Conte. Which of these managers has got more Premier League wins? Mancini. Correct. April 5th, 2009. A 17-year-old Italian subs Nani and scores the winner for Manchester United. Ma- in Makeda. Extra time. Federico Makeda. What's his name? Federico Makeda. And that was the last question. You scored two points? Which uh, that was one minute that was done. I'm sorry, Rory. What what was that sign? Were you trying to show again?
1: F- squeeze in another question. All right, uh, I'll
0: squeeze in another question. How many FA Cups has Di Matteo lifted as a Chelsea player? Two, and it's correct. But it was outside of the one minute. Damn it! So it's two correct. Those first two
1: questions I should have gone. For right.
0: Rory Criscuolo. So let's go again. Who is the Italian with most goals in the Premier League?
1: I'm still convinced it's Zola, but it isn't. Oh.
0: <laughs> Zola is number two. Number one is Paolo Di Canio with uh-huh. six.
1: Sorry, Tom.
0: Six. 66. Who is the Italian with most appearances? I don't know. Zola with 200. Oh, I was going to
1: say Zola, but I was like, I can't get the question wrong with Zola and then go Zola again. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a Zola with Damn 229.
0: It. In 1996, Benny Carbone left Inter Milan to join his first ever Premier League side, which was, Rory? Was it Forest? It's no. not Friday, it's not Monday, but it's...
1: Oh, Sheffield Wednesday.
0: It's Sheffield Wednesday. He stayed there for three years from 1996 to to 1999.
1: Benny Carbone. yeah, okay.
0: Fabio Borini has played in Chelsea, Liverpool, Sunderland, and in Wales, Swansea? Swansea City, yeah, on damn. loan in 2011. Mancini is indeed, between him, Ancelotti and Conte, the one with the most Premier League wins. Mancini has got 82, Ancelotti 71, and Conte 54 and you remembered correctly man there was such a hype around federico <laughs> maqueda he's currently playing at panathinaikos and uh, dude earlier earlier i got a little theory when i was reading that because i remembered the hype that there was around this guy mm-hmm. and he had a talk with ferguson and ferguson told him told him look dude i was reading this interview with him and i got theory ferguson told him we need to send you on loan somewhere. We don't want to sell you because we believe in your talent, mm-hmm. but we just need to loan you to some team and then you can come back to Man U when you've got more experience. And Makeda said, well, then I'm going back to Italy. And Ferguson told him, that would be the biggest mistake of your life. Stay in the Premier League. Players on loans, they got a lot of playing time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, dude, you risk really just ruining your career. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. went to Sampdoria. He ruined his career. He's playing at Panathina Cost right now. He scored a lot of goals in the last two seasons, but in this interview from a few months ago, he was saying, if only had I listened to the greatest manager in the (laughs) world the things yeah i mean you've got ferguson in front of you i would listen, <laughs> just listen man for fuck's sake yeah, yeah just don't be fucking stubborn right but rory we've come to the end of a very extensive episode do you have anything to say to our listeners before i send them off with today's very spicy quote
1: i don't think i do apart from see you next time listeners thanks for joining us
0: and since we mentioned him in our quiz, Paolo Di Canio comes in with the heat about Jose Mourinho being appointed as Roma manager. Rory is already smiling. He doesn't know the quote, I've but never he's heard ready it ready to listen to it. It starts with... Mourinho is the worst of the worst. I understand you needed a big name at the moment, but it's like when you sign a player who is finished. Mourinho just wanted a job with money, a lot of money. He's had his third sacking in four years, kicked out from everywhere due to the incompatibility of his character, and before, that's all he was good at having character ladies and gentlemen this is paolo di canio coming in hot against this signing we will talk to you again on monday night at 9 p.m on twitch thank you for listening that's all from the anglo-italian pod